You're listening to episode 34 of the Comics Pals. We are a group of comic book journalists and friends who've decided to record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. This is the part of the show where Phil would say something funny. (laughs) I don't know that it is, actually. Oh, take that. So, Phil is unfortunately not with us. He's doing something. I think he's at a wedding or something. We killed him. Or we killed him. We killed him. Uh, The wedding is just uh, what we're telling him. We killed him. (laughs) (laughs) We killed him. Uh, So, we are without Phil for the next two shows. Uh, we will find a way to carry on without his inhuman rambunctiousness. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm excited to do this. We we managed to pull this one together, even though there were some some difficulties on my part. <laughs> yeah, we had a rough morning here for the pals. At Pals HQ. I wonder why, Kale. Because you've been shitting all morning. <laughs> All right, so I did go out for dinner yesterday. Yesterday was my birthday. Yesterday being the 16th, we record this on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I went to Outback. I had a Blooming Onion. A lot of a Blooming Onion, actually. And I now I'm paying the price. Blooming Onion? Essentially, yes. Essentially, yes. Uh, and now I'm paying the price. And unfortunately, the pals are suffering with me. Uh, so... If you want to celebrate my birthday with me, I would love for you to do a few things. If you want to make my birthday special, here's what you can do. You can check us out on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast, and you can contribute to that, which I would really, really appreciate. We are also on all other podcast hosting platforms. You can check us out there. You guys show us a lot of love on SoundCloud, so keep that up, please. You can reach out to us on all the social medias, wherever social media is sold, we are at the Comics Pals, so you can hit us up on there. Uh, you can wish me a happy birthday if you want to, um, but don't sing it to me because I really don't like that. Uh, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can hit us up on YouTube. We have so much stuff going on on YouTube right now. In addition to all of the Wizard World content that we've been posting, our interviews with the likes of Rob Liefeld and Dirk Manning, we've also got tons of E3 coverage from over at the Video Game Pals, which you can check out. That stuff is live. So if you did enjoy E3, you can check that stuff out. It's all there for you. Uh, And of course, be sure to like this video. Uh, Subscribe to our channel for all the good stuff that we're putting out right now. And share with your friends because that stuff is hugely important. If you want to make me happy for my 27th birthday, share the Comics Pals love with your friends. Oh, Sean, I thought you were 19. <laughs> Dude, I wish I was 19, man. I yeah, I can't believe you're only 27. I thought we were the same age. No. I thought no. Four, I thought you were going on 400 just like me. Whatever, man. <laughs> so, I want to start the show off with a buy or sell cuz I thought I thought this one was uh interesting. So, here we go. Buy or sell on the superhero paraphernalia item that you would most like to have, right? So we've got Wonder Woman's Lasso of Truth. Okay. We've got Thor's Hammer and Green Lantern's Ring. So the one you would most like to have. And just to clarify, if you choose Thor's Hammer, that means you are worthy. 
what which buy or sell which one are you buying on and which are you selling and why uh i'm gonna buy the green lantern ring and i guess i'll sell wonder woman's lasso and I give and, two shit and thor's hammer fine i give two shits about those things <laughs> Really? You're 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 giving me a ring that I can do literally anything I want with. Yeah, thanks. But if you get Thor's hammer, you become a god. I have a ring that I can do literally anything I want with. I'm already a god. <laughs> okay, all right, that's Kill's answer. I don't know, man. So like, I'm I'm gonna pass on Mjolnir just because I I don't I don't think that I'm worthy enough. You know, like I and like I think I'm a good person, but like I'm not like fucking Steve Rogers or anything, right? Like, so I don't know. Um, I don't know that I'm going to be able to pick it up and actually turn into Thor. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you guys were dating. You're not. <laughs> the reason why I'm laughing is because you just said that you're less virtuous than someone who is the leader of Hydra. That's, right now. I don't mean that, Steve Rogers. <laughs> but hey, wait, he still picked it up. He That's did. True. He picked it up. That's true. Carry on. Yeah, so excuse me for that unfavorable comparison but so yeah as much as i i'm like i'm leaning towards the green lantern ring but like i don't know man i think the practical applications are fairly limited there i feel like i would use it to fly all the time like that is super useful save a ton of money on gas i could you know i could fly to new york and you know pick you guys up and we could all do the show together or whatever like be pretty easy right like i feel like that that in and of itself seems worth it but then, like, you have the lasso, and there's, like, the lie detector element there. But I don't also have to learn how to use a lasso. So <laughs> That's true. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the Green Lantern ring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're buying on Green Lantern ring, selling on Thor's hammer, and the lasso. Marco? I'm selling on all three. <laughs> what? You just don't want any Oh, what are you going to pick? What, 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 what paraphernalia does Swamp Thing use? What's his fucking... <laughs> I want the green... Um. <laughs> <laughs> he gives you a yam. I want a yam. <laughs> I choose the Swamp Thing yam. You're a monster. Okay, I don't know what a yam <laughs> is, but that's outside the scope of this buy or sell, sir. Uh, I guess the ring. You guess? I guess I'll take the ability to fly and make... I guess I want to fly. <laughs> I'll take the ring. So, pede- so pedestrian. <laughs> right? Uh... So I feel like all of these have very vast applications. Uh, the lasso, though, is probably the most limited in terms of application. I would see if I had the lasso of truth, I would want to try to like find Donald Trump somehow and just rope him and see what I could get him to say. Uh, the truth. So that, that, yeah. I, like what? But what could I get out of him? You know, what truths could I could I get? Uh, so I, I would want to do that. Um, I don't know, man. The PP tape was real. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's a good amount of c- scenarios out there where like you you think someone might be lying to you or like might be withholding some truth from you, you know, and like you could totally get used out of it. But then also like they're totally gonna be pissed off afterwards. So like it's like you're getting that information under duress, you know? Like 
So you you become a villain essentially in real life with the lasso of truth you become a villain. I think so. So there's there's that. Now that being said, there is a BDSM joke in here somewhere. I don't know it personally, <laughs> but it, it it's here. Marco set uh, me so up that, for one, and then you made a different joke, and then I was gonna make one just before, but I was just like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> my timing is off today. What can I say? I've been on the toilet too much. Um. So I I'm gonna go with. The Hammer of Thor. I'm going to buy on Mjolnir and I'm going to sell on the ring and I'm going to sell on the lasso because I would indeed enjoy being a god. So, yeah. That's what I'm doing. That's too much, pre- too much pressure. Dude, you could save the world. That's too much pressure. All right. Wait, but what? so what are you going to do with the Green Lantern ring then? Uh, whatever I want. Honestly, like I that's the thing is like I think I would I would do a fair amount of vigilanteing with the Green Lantern ring, but I would I'm definitely picking it more for its practical applications. You know, like I also just gave a scenario where I get a Green Lantern ring and my biggest concern is I'm gonna use it to podcast. <laughs> that's where my priorities that, yeah, that's are at. True. All right. Build a build a house on Saturn and live with my I'd girlfriend. I started a really sick YouTube channel where I just did shit with the Green Lantern ring. So, uh, if you guys want to send us buy or sells, definitely do hit us up on any of the platforms that I mentioned earlier, and we will absolutely go over it on the show. So, speaking of us reading your mail, we've got some reader mail that Pete is going to go over right now. So take it away, Pete. I guess that means it's time for some reader mail. Still need a need a song there. I don't know. <laughs> a little jingle. <laughs> I need a jingle, but I don't have one. Um, all right, so we wanted to give a special shout-out to a friend of the show who wrote in Jimmy Pitaro. He wrote in uh, a couple of weeks ago back in May. We've been in, in contact with him a few times. Uh, since then... Um, you know, we don't want to read his whole email because it gives away some personal information about reaching out to play Injustice 2 with us, but I'm just going to read the beginning here. So uh, Jimmy wrote in and said, Hey pals, I think I started watching your podcast at episode one or two and I fell in love with it right away. Glad you pals finally got to do the Tom, Tom King episode because me and my younger brother are obsessed with that guy's work. A big fan, Jimmy Pitaro. So thanks for writing in, Jimmy. And uh, we haven't gotten a chance to play with you yet, but we are friends on, uh, on PSN now. So uh, we'll definitely have to get some Injustice 2 in one of these days now that... Wizard World and E3 have uh, have winded down for us, but uh, thanks for writing in. And then uh, we got a couple comments over on YouTube. Um, Watching Squares wrote in on our Wonder Woman review and said, "Nice job, great chemistry between all of you. I absolutely love the movie. Thanks for writing in, Watching Squares." Uh, and then we got two comments from a friend of the show, Emily Coleman who wrote in on our Dirk Manning interview and said, it's good to see Dirk doing so well and not slowing down with the Nightmare World ending. He seems excited for the future, which is promising to see. And uh, yeah, we uh, we agree. We can't wait to see what he does next. And then uh, we also got another comment from Emily over on our uh, third Wonder Woman episode, um, where we also mourn the loss of Mr. Adam West. And uh, she wrote in and said, in case you're curious, lay... This is the part of the show where Pete mispronounces the name. Lay Bardugo? Lay Bardugo? I don't know. Is a, uh, <laughs> is a young adult writer who has blown up in popularity and was commissioned from D.C. to write a Wonder Woman young adult novel. The story is supposed to follow Diana, uh, follow Diana as a teenager before she becomes Wonder Woman. It'll be interesting to see what the origin story, or what origin story Lay Bardugo Jesus follows. You had to put it in there twice, Emily. <laughs> and then she includes a, uh, a link to information about the book. So uh, if you guys want to go check that out, um, it's up. It's available on penguinrandomhouse.com. 
and uh, we'll have the link. We have the link on that episode. We can throw it down in the description as well. Cool. So that's going to wrap it up for Reader Mail. Thank you guys for writing in. If you want to write in, uh, you can comment on one of our YouTube videos or um, I guess on SoundCloud as well. We don't usually seem to get comments there, but if you want to comment on SoundCloud um, or send us an email at thecomicspals at gmail.com, we will happily read them on the air. Absolutely. Uh, a Wonder Woman young adult novel actually sounds really cool. That's something that I might uh, pick up. It's the right time. And I'm prepared, I'm prepared to uh, do battle with Jimmy in Injustice too. So uh, bring it on, man. Let's do it. Maybe we get. Uh, maybe we can make it a let's play or something. Yeah. Uh, so let's dive into some hashtag pals polls really fast. Uh, we've got a few now. These are submitted by the pals themselves. This is the stuff that we are reading and the things that we feel you guys should be reading as well. And then if you want to share your own pals polls, you can throw them up on Twitter, Instagram with a picture of the books you're reading and include hashtag pals polls in the tweet, and uh, maybe we'll read them on the next episode. Yes, absolutely. So diving right in, uh, this one's from me, Dark Days, The Forge, number one. Uh, this is Scott Snyder's sort of big lead-in to metal, what she's doing with Greg Capullo, and and it's it's phenomenal. Um, you guys really, really should check this out. Uh, if you care about the future of DC, you definitely want to be uh, reading this book because this looks like it's going to lead into the next crisis level event, which will probably take place after the Watchmen stuff comes out. Um, but but this is sort of the this is where the this is the epicenter right now of what's happening in DC. So uh, you want to be following that. Uh, so this one's from Kale Motor Crush Volume One. Uh, Did you blame me for this? You call me out. <laughs> <laughs> I was under the impression these were anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you embarrassed? No. All right then. Uh, I personally read Motor Crush. I think it's awesome. So that's a good pick on Kale's part. Uh, Winnebago Graveyard Number One, which is also from Kale. Kale, do you yeah. want to speak on this really quick? Because I have no idea what this is. Uh, yeah. So it's basically just the uh, the the latest uh, horror comic from. Um, uh, Steve Niles of uh, 30 Days of Night fame. Um, it, uh, it's about a family who takes, uh, you know, their summer vacation or whatever, and things go awry. Interesting. Interesting. So if you're into horror, that's definitely something you guys should be uh, picking up. Um, Bitch Planet Triple Feature, number one. That's coming from Pete. Pete, do you want to... Let us know what that is. Yeah, sure. Um, so this is a uh, kind of a like little one-off thing that they're doing uh, set in the Bitch Planet universe with three different creative teams telling three different stories. So um, it's not by uh, you know the normal team there, but it is you know um, just kind of some new stuff in the universe of Bitch Planet. So if you're a fan of of Bitch Planet, it's definitely something worth checking out. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, and Bitch Planet is still going strong, so that's a book you guys should be supporting for sure uh this is another one from me defenders number one uh so again we've got defenders coming up really soon august and now uh brian bendis has assembled the netflix defenders for their own comic book it's very action-packed uh and it looks like it's going to be a good story so that's something you want to jump in on for sure and the last one also for me is secret empire number four if you are not reading secret empire but you read Marvel Comics, I don't understand you. Uh, Secret Empire is phenomenal. Regardless of what you think about <clears throat> the stuff that's happening around it, it's a great book. You should check this out. It's good stuff. If you care about Marvel, 
be reading Secret Empire. Uh, that's it for the Palace Pulls this week. And again, if you want to share yours with us, you can do so by using the hashtag Palace Pulls, and we will share it on the air. Uh, so let's do some news. Decently big news week, and uh, a couple things I'm really excited to talk about. So, Wonder Woman has been out officially for, what, three weeks now? Uh, two? Or is it two, two weeks? weeks? Two weeks. Yeah. Wonder Woman's been out for two weeks now, and it's doing amazing. Uh, it has broken $435 million, and it's actually... <laughs> this is awesome, actually. Uh, it has the second U.S. strongest U.S. weekend opening uh, of any DC or Marvel movie in the last five years. Wow! Cool. Good. That's that's absolutely incredible. So that's um, so what, what? So what beat it out? Does that mean? Because that includes Avengers, then, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, so this is an article coming from Newsarama, and it actually doesn't specify what beat it out. Um, which is interesting. It also beat The Mummy this week, which is starring Tom Cruise, and it's the start of their whole dark universe. And not surprising, because that movie is apparently bad. <laughs> right. Yes, yeah, the garbage. Um, <laughs> which sucks, because, I mean, like, I don't give a fuck about The Mummy, but I like monster movies. Yeah, yeah. I had, uh, I had high hopes. But in any event, Wonder Woman still going strong, doing really well. Uh, I'm very happy about that because obviously we all saw it and we did enjoy it. You can check out our Wonder Woman review episode if you are interested in hearing our take on the film. Uh, do you guys have anything to say about Wonder Woman still doing its thing in the box office? Not surprising. I'm glad to hear it, though. Uh, and I hope it sets a precedent for both uh, female directors and superheroes on the big screen. Have you seen uh, it's, it's the tweet from uh, comedian uh, Colin Mockery of Whose Line Is It Anyway fame? He basically said, um, he said, uh, what's the deal with all this uh, uproar about women, you know, female directors after Man of Steel, Batman versus Superman and uh, uh, what was the other one? Um, Suicide Squad. Yeah, maybe Suicide Squad. Oh, and Fantastic Four. I can't believe that a man could. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good joke. But you know, it's but it's true. So, uh, <laughs> not not quite. Well, hey man, we've got some good superhero movies out there directed by men. We have a lot more flops than we do. What I will say is that women, I, I unless I'm mistaken or missing something, women are kind of batting a hundred right now, right? Um, because you do have Wonder Woman, but you also have uh, Jessica Jones, which was directed by women, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that show. Yeah, man, I feel like it's because the only women that they let direct are ones that are, like, insanely talented. So it's like, when you, if you actually, like, manage to break through that fucking, like, that, those, like, Hollywood is just such a boys club, you know? That I feel like if you manage to break through, it's because you're, like, you're fucking insanely talented, you know? And, like, you've been putting in your dues for, like, Patty Jenkins has been working for fucking forever. This is only the second movie she's ever directed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, obviously, she knows her shit, you know? Yeah. And also, uh, you know, these women have had the opportunity to, dir- like, a man could have made a Wonder Woman movie, but I think we probably all agree that, you know, if you're going to do it, a woman should 
probably be at the helm. Yeah, I mean, and the result the result speaks for itself. I would say that doesn't mean a man can't do it, but I definitely think Wonder Woman is the movie it is because it had a female director who's talented that gets it. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think it's just like it's a no brainer to let females tell female stories. You know, and like that's not like obviously like Jessica Jones right was created by a man. So, like, <clears throat> that's not to say that men can't write compelling female characters or vice versa. But, yeah, I think, like, it's it's high time that Hollywood gets with the program, you know, and, like, lets women, you know, helm more films, helm more projects, you know. It obviously doesn't affect the box office. Exactly. Uh, and since we're on the subject of female directors anyway, I might as well talk about the fact that Lucy Liu has apparently directed an episode of Luke Cage. Uh, she was spotted on the set of... The the series, which is filming its its second season, and the rumor mill is heavily speculating that she directed an episode, uh, which would not be weird because she actually has has some experience directing other works. So I think that this would be really cool if it is true. Um, I I hope it's true. Uh, what do you guys think about that? It's cool. Good. It's pretty cool. I yeah, good for her. Yeah, I'm like I'm a fan of Lucy Liu. Um, I don't know if I've seen anything she's directed, but I like her as an actress. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like, again, I, I'm all for letting women get behind the camera, you know? Like, there should be more opportunities for them because they just, a lot of them don't exist. And uh, it's cool to see that Marvel seems to be, you know, kind of <clears throat> lessening that gender gap a little bit, at least for their studio. Or at least making an effort to, right? She directed uh, some episodes of the show Elementary, which she's on, uh, and an episode of Graceland, which is a show on USA. Uh, so she's 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 got experience. She's got chops. She's been in the business for forever. Uh, so obviously she she gets it. And uh, I look forward to seeing what what episodes she did or what episodes she did and uh, how they turn out. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Marvel would have given her the job if they didn't think she had talent you know i think it's really cool marvel seems to do that a lot of like give people like like again like letting like chris pratt be uh you know an action star or like or even um what's his name who plays ant-man paul rudd you know like comedians giving them action roles or whatever well yeah drax is uh chris batista right, is that yeah. story dave, like, yeah dave batista, dave batista. that's right, the one right. sorry yeah there is a chris batista though right? he's an artist yeah oh oh okay my bad well, I mean, I'm sure that story holds true. Chris Batista, I'm sure he appreciates. I'm sure he appreciates Marvel's chance. <laughs> but yeah, CM Punk wrote the Drax comic book, so it's true. Yeah. they're not they're not above um, taking gambles on talented people who are typecast or like who you don't expect to be successful at something. So like, sure, yeah. and DC as well. Look at Gerard Way. That's a good point. Yeah, Young Animal. Yeah, that's his whole deal. So. Uh, you know, these people are talented and they're multi-talented in many cases. And it's cool to see them get opportunities outside of their specific wheelhouse. Yeah, for sure. Plus, um, like, Lucy Liu has a ton of action experience. She's been in a shitload of action movies. So, like... Kill Bill. Yeah, dude. A fucking... The, um, Charlie's Angels reboot that they did in, like, the 90s yeah. or whatever, 2000s. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. Totally. Last week, we reported on the passing of Adam West... Which, you know, we, we all were hit by that loss. Uh, but it turns out that we haven't seen the last of Adam West as Batman or on television for that matter. Because uh, he 
was able to complete voice recordings for an upcoming um, <clears throat> animated film called Batman oh, vs. Right. Two Face. Yeah, so we're going we're going to get two what appear to be two last performances from Adam West. One is this Batman vs. Two Face, which is a sequel to Return of the Caped Crusaders from 2016. Uh, so. For this film, this Batman vs. Two-Face, we're also getting Burt Ward as the voice of Robin and Julie Newmar as the voice of Catwoman. Uh, Two-Face actually never appeared in the 1960s Batman television series, for which Adam West is famous. Um, but he's going to be voiced by William Shatner, which is interesting. What? That's oh, cool. I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. I was uh, I was hoping they would go for the, uh, the Billy Dee Williams route. You know, because mm. he was he was supposed to, he was rumored to be Two Face for uh, the the next Tim Burton Batman, yeah. uh, but I I don't hate that. Not it's at interesting. All. Yeah, and that's going to be coming out later this year. Uh, so the other thing that we're going to get from uh, Adam West, one of his final roles, is an unaired episode of Powerless, the show uh, from NBC that that was sort of quickly axed. Uh, that starred Vanessa Hudgens and Alan Tudyk uh, as kind of, you know, people who work for Wayne Industries and but but don't interact with Batman or, or anyone like that. Uh, there was an episode that was filmed that did include Adam West. He played the role of the chairman of Wayne Inter Industries, uh, Dean West. And so that episode is being released uh, online. So, actually, it's already out if you want to check it out. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So, I never watched that show. Um, this probably won't get me to watch it, but I think it's cool that they released it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a nice thing to do for, for fans, you know? Yeah. Um, so, All-Star Batman, which is Scott Snyder's kind of vehicle to tell all the Batman stories he wants to tell with all the best artists on the planet Earth that are exclusive to DC... Uh, is coming to an end, which is weird, right? Because it's one of the best-selling comics being published. However, it's not coming to an end because it's doing poorly. It's coming to an end because they're actually going to do something all new with this title. Um, so in an interview with uh, CBR, Scott Snyder did talk about this cancellation, uh, this is what he had to say, and I quote, That's right, it's hard because it's not actually the end for me in a lot of ways. Essentially, I've started working on the arc with Sean Murphy already, and DC has been really excited about some new formats that they're creating. Part of it is tied is tied a lot of exciting editorial changes that they announced about a month ago. They're creating bold new initiatives, new lanes to create New lanes to, to drive in creatively for creators to tell the kinds of stories like I was telling in All-Star. They are artist-centric and a little bit left of center in ways that put the artist first with a new artist format and with a new level of sophistication in terms of allowing for content that's a bit more, how do I say this without spoiling stuff, adult, I guess. Uh, what? He, he, yeah. That sounds really, really interesting. interesting. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna take a cue from our uh, Longbox brothers and say Batman porn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I do want to read a little bit more of a quote from him just to give us a, a, a bigger idea of what he's talking about. Uh, so DC approached me and said, how would you like to take some of the stuff that you are doing with Sean and do it in a new prestige format? Instead of doing it monthly, why not do it in this format that would allow for it to be a bigger stage, both for Sean artistically, and to package the story in a new way and then allow every subsequent story that I was working with, that I was working on with Paul Pope and Afua Richardson with Lee Mayo be done in this format that really foregrounds the art, different paper size, different cut, the whole thing. In that way, it seemed obvious and a perfect solution. Instead of having them work month to month on a normal sized conventional comic, we could be doing some, we, we could be some of the first people to try diving in this new lane for DC. Huh, interesting. I mean, this is like literally a thing I've been saying I wanted DC to do since before we did the show together. Like, yeah, I, I love this idea. I love the idea of doing prestige books. I love the idea of doing stuff that's not um, limited by, you know, the 20 page or 22 page, you know, like the standard of comics. Like, you know, we can do so much more with the medium than that. And this is some of the best talent in the industry with one of the most popular characters of all time. Like, you know, that seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Uh, I guess I've never heard that term before. What is a prestige book? So a priest, a prestige book is a comic book that doesn't conf- doesn't conform to the standards of twenty pages of you know like that kind of stuff. Like it, it, it's continuity, but continuity light. You know, like all that kind of all that that whole kind of deal. Yeah, it's not like a it's not like a full on graphic novel, but it's also not a normal floppy issue i think right. i think the um the term comes from the fact that like or, like originally comics were like 60 pages and they were a lot more freeform you know like what the content of what was in a book every week was different you know and yeah. I, I, i've heard a lot of i think that's where the comparison comes from so it's like <laughs> I, I think these books will probably be like somewhere in that neighborhood like 60 pages each issue maybe and mm-hmm. maybe they won't they'll probably be maybe a little bigger usually prestige books are like larger um, and they have like a more like magazine shape to them than like your standard yeah. floppy. So, uh, if you're not familiar with what All Star Batman is, it's important to note that the stuff that happens in the book is in continuity, but uh, it's kind of a story where anything goes. And we haven't really seen ripples of All Star Batman affect what Tom King is doing with the character in any way. So each arc is it it it. It's a, a story drawn by a different artist with a different villain as the centerpiece that sort of addresses a different part of Batman's life. Uh, so for those those of you who don't care about what you know what the the writer of the time is doing with Batman like what Tom King is doing right now, if you're not into that continuity heavy stuff, then All-Star Batman is continuity light. And it's very free of that stuff, and it's fun, and all of that. I personally don't like that book, but a lot of other people do. So there you go. I mean, I had no interest in it before, but this sounds really attractive. You know, the idea of something less conventional. And, like, again, the the fact that they threw around, or he threw around the term, like, artist-centric, and, like, new yeah. format, you know, like, that's exciting. You know, the idea of, like breaking down the boundaries and doing something new and something that is focused more on the art is going to be, I think, really cool. I don't like change. (laughs) 
this is the portion of the show where Marco imitates Phil. I was going to say, badly. oh, Phil's here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Phil would be into this. You don't think so? Uh, yeah, I think so. No, no, I, I think, I think he's. Yeah, he'll probably be into it. He'll say, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Could be good. That kind of thing. He, could, be, could be good. Could be good. His, his whole thing. <laughs> but uh, I think I think this is um, this is definitely where I like to see stories go because I'm not a big continuity guy. Like, I don't really care if in whatever issue something happened or, like, because somebody did something. Like, I don't really care. Like, that's all cool. And it's cool if you reference it. Like, it's nice, like, little Easter eggs with the people who know. But for someone who doesn't know the history, it doesn't really need it. And if it's going to like this kind of format where they're changing stuff up, they're pushing, as the way I say, they're pushing to try to bring in people who are like that, like lapsed fans from the continuity stuff. Yeah, or people who just yeah. like Batman but don't want to read a month-to-month superhero book because I like yeah, that's cool. like we, like me. Yeah, exactly. And like I think we've talked about this too a lot, where like. I know I made the point a couple weeks ago, at least, where I think, like, these companies need to come to the realization that, like, month-to-month superhero books are for the hardest of the hardcore. But there's a whole other spectrum of readers out there that are interested in reading comics about superheroes. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot about that uh, a little later on in terms of how to to bring a new reader into the fold uh, and where, where you should start reading. Um, and I think that these kind of offerings are great for that. Um, you know, we'll save that, that the meat of that conversation for later, but if this is something that DC is going to do with Superman, with Wonder Woman, with Flash, take all-star creative teams, put them together, let the artists really shine, um, I think that that could be a huge success and I would love to see them. This is something that you do in addition to the monthly Batman book, you have the prestige book, you know, all-star Batman doesn't need to come out monthly. Cause we already get that from mm-hmm. Tom King's Batman. And I, I think what's cool about this too, is it solves two of the problems that we always like levy at these companies, which is not only do you give this other book that is like experimental and is telling like continuity light or non-continuity stories. You're also eliminating the, do we really need two monthly Batman books? Yeah. And it's like right. if one of them's actually offering something that's a distinctly different product, then yeah, probably, you know. And you know the other thing you always point out, Sean, is that I think a lot the reason a lot of these like non-continuity, like aimed at more casual or lapsed readers' books don't work is like they don't always have the biggest push behind them or like the creative talent or the names or whatever. And it's like I feel like this is all looking like it's gonna be a good easy sell, you know, especially with a character like Batman being the first book that comes out. And and this would be cool. Um, like we we always talk about how like Marvel they have too many they they have too many books out. Like this would be a cool way. Like the um, what was it the oh my god Black Panther the Wakanda books. Oh, uh, Black World Panther of Wakanda. And the crew, yeah, well, the too. World of Wakanda. The, like that would be a cool way to introduce that that kind of a book and like a prestige. Like okay, like you know it's a it's sort of a, like a like a one shot thing, but it still has content enough so that uh, you can tell a full story. And even if people don't instead of pushing out like a book monthly that people don't pick up, like at least this is like a, a one kind of like a one-time kind of push that you can gauge uh, insight from you can, you can gauge, see, Oh, like people are, are into this book. And if not, then fine. It was like a one shot thing. And like, that's cool. That's okay. Yeah. And like shit, man, I feel like that's a way better way to sell 
the random issue number ones like Marvel likes to do is like just literally make it a one shot prestige book that's something special and limited. And I think you'll uh-huh. still get those casual readers that just want to pick up number ones or whatever, or the people who buy them and think they're going to sell them later, you know? Um, because yeah. it's the same thing. It's just there's not the expectation of it turning into a monthly book. And then if people actually like it, maybe that's what maybe you make a spinoff that's actually a monthly. Right, right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, and if the price point is good, this will be a much better way of bringing people in than some of the graphic novel offerings. So, for example, mm-hmm. Marvel did the season one line of books, which, you know, it's it's tough to get someone to spend 15 to 20 dollars on a graphic novel for characters that they don't necessarily know that well uh, and to read their origin and not even the incontinuity origin. But if you if you can offer someone a seven dollar comic book, that's going to give you the whole story, and it's about a character you love, and you don't have to know X, Y, and Z. That's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So, kudos to DC. And I think especially if it's not origins, like you said, if it is just like, hey, this is just a good self-contained Batman story. Like you know Batman, you know, like you know the you know enough about Batman to li- to read a Batman story. Like that's what you got to do. You got to hit that level. Exactly. So. One of the most curious cases in comics is the story of Static Shock. The curious case of Static Shock. Yes, because he's a he was a super popular character. He had his own television show. Uh, I can't think of another black comic book character that had their own show. Uh, and I made, you know, that's just off the top of my head. I can't think of anyone. Um, but... He's disappeared, and that's very strange. But the showrunner of Black Lightning, which is a show that's going to be debuting on the CW, wants to bring him back. He wants to bring Static Shock onto the show. Uh, so the sh- the co-showrunner, Salim Akil, uh, was doing an interview uh, with ATX Television Festival in Austin, Texas. Uh, he said that he would love to include Static Shock on the show. Uh, and this is his quote. I love the idea of Static Shock. And in success, hopefully, we'll be able to pull other characters in that way. So I'm holding out hope because I love that character. Uh, so, go ahead, Pete. I just think it's so weird that this is, that they're making a Black Lightning show and not a Static Shock show. Right. Okay. So this article, which is by CBR, goes into why that might be the case. Okay. Re- cool. Because, like, I, I'm just, like, why? <laughs> it seems so easy. Right. So the reason, potentially, why we haven't seen more Static Shock is because Static Shock was created by the founders of Milestone Comics, Dwayne McDuffie and Dennis Cohen, before they jumped to DC. Uh, And there's been a show in development for a while by Milestone Media. And Jaden Smith has actually been rumored to play Static Shock, which we've talked about before on this show. So if, if the show is still in development and if it's being developed by Milestone Media, which is obviously not DC, there's a pretty good chance we don't see Static Shock on this show or interacting with the DC Universe at all ever again. So how does that work? They own the rights to the character and not DC? 
That's the thing. The article says that it's a complicated rights issue. It's hard to say where the rights begin and end because it was created by two people who did go to DC but created the character while they were at Milestone. Huh. So who owns the rights to the character is the question. Oh, wow. So maybe they had an agreement to make the cartoon and that was it? Right. It could potentially be that. Oh. Wow, that's awful. Huh. But up until... Final Crisis, I think he was. Uh, he was a Teen Titan, and Dakota City was uh, in the DC universe. Really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, at least in the, in the cartoon, it was definitely set in the DC universe. You know, like he he interacted. Yeah, that with, was yeah. Yeah, he interacted with the Justice League. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, he had a couple DC miniseries too. I know, like he fronted. Like there were like one or two of them, I think, over the years. And I read them because I love Static Shock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I really don't don't know how this is all working out. Um, I would love to see Static Shock make a huge splash, um, but you know, we don't we don't know how this is all going to work out and where the rights begin and end and the legal elements that, of course, we're not privy to. Yeah, dude, I wish I wish yeah. DC would just fucking spend the money, you know, like get them own him like because i feel like a static shock comeback would be so easy yeah well i mean i mean the issue with that is you know look at superman and how they've screwed over the uh seagull schuster estate like i i definitely don't want that to happen to the mcduffie you know family or whatever oh for sure um but also i i guess i guess i would imagine that the the comics rights are are different from the film and television rights. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I bet that has to be negotiated. And Right. We'll see. I mean, we will we will keep you guys updated. Um, again, I would love to see Static return to the DC universe on screen. And if he can appear in the Black Lightning television show, that's a cool way to, to, to bring him back and then maybe have a spinoff. But it all, you know, it, it all depends on what goes on with Milestone Media. So... Last week, we talked about um, Howard Chaykin's Divided States of Hysteria, number one, which had some controversial scenes that people were very, very upset about. And Image Comics has come out in defense of their creator and their title, uh, Eric Stevenson, who Hmm. is the publisher of Image, um, came out and talked about how not only are they standing behind this series, but announced plans for a second printing of the first issue due to quote-unquote overwhelming demand. Um, So this is the quote coming from Stevenson. The history of comics isn't exactly filled with political thrillers, but Howard Chaykin made his name in the 80s with American Flag, and the divided states of hysteria is very much in the same mold. One of the things I've always admired about Howard's work is his unflinching reluctance to pull any punches, and this series is about a society not on the verge, but in the midst of... Of a collapse is no different. If you're looking for escapism, this probably isn't the book for you, as its warts and all depiction of the modern world reveals it to be an ugly place governed by hatred, fear, and intolerance. Rooted in the worst aspects of reality, this is an indignant, rebellious fiction designed to make readers both angry and uncomfortable, but more than that, it's intended to provoke thought about how and why things have reached a state where the tools for progress, discourse, understanding, cooperation are shunned in favor of treating anyone with an opposing viewpoint as an enemy combatant. 
if the divided states of hysteria prompts just a single productive conversation about the present state of our society, then it has succeeded in its goals and is a story worth sharing. Interesting. I mean, there's definitely value to his point, like 100%. Um, it's a... Uh... It's and an image lives like stands by those 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 values of like it's a creator work, their job there is to put out what a creator does regardless of whether you agree with it or not. You know, like I can, I I mean I probably I haven't read it, but I imagine some of the content I won't necessarily agree with, uh, and might make me feel uncomfortable. But I can't deny his art. That's where I fall on this as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said, Marco. Um. I mean, we, we talked about it last week, and I think it comes down to I, I understand both sides of this argument. You know, I understand why the trans community is upset by this. Um, and we talked about this at length, so I don't want to re- repeat it. So if you are interested, go listen to last week's episode. But um, I also, I think Image did the right thing here. I think as much as, as, much as I may not um, like the content, I don't think that anyone has any right to say that someone's art doesn't have the right to exist. Um, that's Once not... Once Dan Slott. <laughs> <laughs> that, that got me. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I believe in freedom of speech. Like, that's what this country is built off of and the marketplace of ideas. So if you don't like his work, don't support it. Speak out against it. You're well within your right. Um, but he's also within his right to publish his work, and I don't think Image is wrong for doing that. Especially considering that they signed off on the book knowing what it was. So if they did not come out in defense of it now or shunned it, that would be really weird because initially they had no problem with yeah. it because they published it. would be hypocritical. It. Absolutely. I think, if, I think if there were some content in here that Image really, really thought was pushing it too far, they wouldn't publish the book. Yeah, I agree. I think during the editorial process, it would have been weeded out. Yeah. Uh, and just to cap this conversation off, uh, we do have a comment by Chaykin himself. Uh, he simply says, and I quote, a fictional dystopia selling out in the midst of a real life, slow motion societal collapse. How much more thrilled and grateful could I possibly be at this? So obviously he is reaping the benefits and enjoying the success of his book. And you can't hate the man for that. Uh, so, moving right along. It looks like Valiant is jumping into the superhero movie game. And they are doing so with Shadow Man, which is going to be directed by Reginald Hudlin, uh, who's written some comics. He wrote for Black Panther for a while. and It was actually some solid stuff. Um, and so, he's going to co-write the story with Salem showrunner Adam Simon. Uh, so Valiant Valiant is jumping into the game. And I, I actually think this is really cool. Um, they're rewriting a screenplay by J. Michael Straczynski. Um, and uh, this, you know, th- this is a book. This is probably the biggest book that Valiant has. And so I think getting getting this out there, it's, it's a very... The, the, the cast is pretty much all minorities. You've got Hudlin as the director. He himself a black man. I love the, the, the way this is being set up. Uh, and I think that coming out strong with a book, with a, a film like this, in addition to all the, the other stuff that they've got going, because they have a whole line of, of movies that they want to bring out with Bloodshot, 
Harbinger, Archer, and Armstrong. Uh, this could be the start of something big for them. It really seems like Valiant is having like a big coming out party lately. You know, like they're really trying to up their game and, and get to that next level and like be, you know, like, you know, on the same, like, I guess, tier. It's like image, um, which is cool. You know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I think more competition breeds better product. So that's great. Yeah. And they're not the only ones trying to jump into the game because 20th Century Fox has bought into Boom Studios. And they're looking to produce films based on Boom's properties. Uh, so, 20th Century Fox has tried this before. Um, they had, well, they, they've tried to publish comics, I should say, before. Uh, they tried Fox Atomics, Atomic Comics, which published ad- adaptations and spin off comics based on various Fox films. And that didn't last too long, it, it lasted three years. Um, but now Fox is, fu- is putting money into Boom, and they're going to start push, pushing out these movies based on properties like Irredeemable, uh, The Empty Man, Malignant Man, Imagine Agents, Mouse Guard, Lumberjanes. So yeah. there's there's a lot of content that Boom has, and I think that um, I think that them working together that could be huge. Lumberjanes has been in in talks for a while. So is Irredeemable getting either. Yeah, at getting either a feature or a um, uh, a series. Um, so yeah, this is this is huge, and 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 uh, like you said, not really um, unforeseen. You know, it's not a total surprise. It's just interesting because so Fox invested in the studio like itself. Like, do they own part of Boom now? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I hope that's a good thing. Well, uh, it seems like they've had a partnership for a while. Uh, So let me read a quote from the CEO of Boom. Uh, So he says, Fox has been an incredibly supportive partner, and our creative alliance has been tremendously successful. High-level directors, big screenwriters, and marquee talent have found Boom an attractive platform. Now Boom can greenlight more new series from comic book creators, deepen its distribution relationships, and widen its marketing reach. Great news for our creators, retail partners, and fans. Fox is committed to Boom's creators through this deal, and it means Boom will have better support and resources to publish world-class content. All right. That sounds cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, as, as long as it's a... I don't know. As long as it's a partnership that is based on fostering Boom and helping Boom grow and not making yeah. Boom a place for them to farm IP, um, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. I was just going to say the way that – so the language of this article, which is from Newsarama, and the, the quotes that they've got here, uh, they make it seem like you – know, and again, they make it seem like Fox is putting cash into Boom – to try to help them succeed on the comics end and then make movies based around these properties that would hopefully be more successful if Boom has more resources. Sure. I mean, like, and that sounds like a win-win, right? Like, if that's what it is, like, if they just want to be like, hey, we're going to give you a bunch of cash and in exchange we're going to develop movies based on your properties and Boom gets a cut of those movies, then great. You know? Like, that is that is a, a one – like, they'll definitely grow, you know, and, and they'll have opportunities to branch out like they said. And that's great because the content that they're already doing that's original creator content is all really good. And even their licensed stuff has been really well well received. And that was a thing that at the time seemed like a weird move for them, but it was kind of a natural growth for the company. So 
if they can keep growing at that pace and it's not them, you know, getting like kind of absorbed by Fox in a way that like hurts the culture that's already there. I think it sounds like a win-win. Absolutely. That's good for boom because they're on the rise. Good for Fox too. Yeah, absolutely. They they need to jump into this game. Well, they've well they've got uh they've got the the X Men stuff. I mean, but shit, how cool would it be if like all these boom things start really working for them, and like the X Men movies are like not so hot, and they're just like fuck it, you know? <laughs> oh, Pete, that's my dream. It's my dream too, because in that world we have a bunch of great boom movies, and Marvel gets the X Men back. Sounds like a win. <laughs> we we mentioned uh, Fox. Maybe giving up the rights to uh, the X-Men. But it doesn't look like the Fantastic Four are going over to Marvel. It My looks like... damn it. Yeah. Un- un- unfortunately. Stop. Uh, it doesn't look like Fox is interested in giving the X-Men away. Um, Kevin Feige was recently asked a question about this. Did you mean the Fantastic Four? Yeah, did I say like, what did I say? Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, so it doesn't look like Fox is willing to give away the Fantastic Four. Uh, in an interview that Feige did on Facebook video, uh, he said simply this: "We have no plans with the Fantastic Four right now. No discussions about it." Uh, he got a fan submitted question. Uh, that, you know, kind of just was about the Fantastic Four, and that's his response. It really sucks, because more than anything, I've said this before, I want Marvel to get the rights to the Fantastic Four. Uh, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. For, if for nothing else, it's for the villains, too, you know? Like, I'm like Doctor Doom, we need Doctor Doom. Yeah. And, and the thing is that the sequel... To the 2015 reboot of the Fantastic Four was supposed to come out on June 9th. And Hmm. that date... Really? They never officially canceled it? They never officially canceled it. Uh, The date has come and gone. But the thing is that Marvel is saying that they have no plans. So if they have no plans, does that mean that they know that there's no chance? Or does it mean that they just don't care about getting that property? I mean, it could mean that they just don't know, like it's up in the air and they just don't have anything to say. Because, like, that's usually the PR response for we have nothing to say at this time. Usually means we may or may not have something to say. Right. Guys, what if what if a Fantastic Four movie came out and none of us knew about it? <laughs> like, what if it like was, it like, the smallest, like... Yeah, yeah, they're hiding it, like, the... <laughs> they're hiding it, like, the back... In the back of, like, the smallest theaters in the country... We just want to keep the property. Right, because they, they, or at least the way that I've always understood these deals, and this could be entirely wrong, but this is what has been on the internet for many years, is that um, in order to keep these properties, they have to make a movie or have a movie in production, you know, every X amount of years, the rights naturally revert to Marvel. That's what I've always heard. Yes. So Yeah, no, that's definitely what, because that's, that's what happened with Daredevil. Right. They used to own Daredevil too, and they couldn't get a Daredevil movie together. So they, they lost the right. rights. So if that's the case, does the fact that they didn't cancel the movie, is that them saying, oh, well, we're just going to keep it in production forever? Is it in production at all? What's going on? We have no way of knowing. That's not enough. 
it being in production, like I'm pretty sure they have to release it. Cause I remember that was the thing with Daredevil because they had a director attached. They were trying to get a screenplay going and they just ran out of time. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that because like I'm not exactly sure what the timeline is. Like I don't think it's like they probably were like we'll put out this Fantastic Four movie and if it's good we'll put out another one and then they realize it sucked they're done. I don't know how long the gap is before they need to put out another one before the rights revert. Um, but I would imagine they probably have a good amount of time left because they put out that other movie not that long ago. That being said, the fact that this movie didn't come out and we haven't heard about another one, it's not unheard of to think that maybe they are going to let it lapse because they're tired of pissing money away. Yeah, and I, I think that that would be smart on their part. Not And not just because I want Marvel to get it, but I just don't think that they know what to do with that with those characters, and they've just not been able to be successful. No. And the last movie, the last movie was definitely like a loss for them. I think, like, I'm pretty sure it didn't it didn't do well like at no, all. Not in any way. I am willing to go on record right now here on the Comics Pals and say that I believe that within the next three years, Fantastic Four will be a Marvel Cinematic Universe property. I believe that nah. to be true. You heard it here first. Hmm. That, I'll take that. I'll right. take that bet. Cool. Yeah. You want the Marco? You want the over or the under? Over. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I'm gonna take the under. I'm gonna go with Sean on this one. Cool. So you, th- and you think within three years? Within three years. Man, can we extend that to five? <laughs> no. Then you go over. He already said three. Three was the official four. statement. Four. Nope. All right, fine. I'll go with you. I'm with you. It's the under. Who cares? If we win, we win That's more. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm always down to win more. So in three years. We will tell you guys which one of us, which side what is What are we correct. betting? Uh, we're going to have to figure that out off the air, I think. How about pizza? I can't even eat that. You can't eat pizza. Fuck. All right, fine. Off the air. <laughs> Write in and tell us what we should yes. bet. Yes. pals at gmail.com. Hit us up. Uh, so we finally know what Marvel Legacy is actually going to be. Uh, at least the number, the number one issue, which is kind of the big... You know, so like how Rebirth number one introduced the new status quo. That's what Marvel Legacy number one is going to be. Uh, it will release in September and it will see a new team of Avengers assemble for the very first time. Except that it's not exactly a new team because the story takes place in 1 million BC. Uh, whatever that means. Uh, so the team of Avengers will be Odin, a past Iron Fist. A past star brand, a past ghostwriter, Phoenix, Agamotto, and a past Black Panther. Huh. So that that's a very, very, very interesting team. And sort of the, the through line there is that they're all sort of either cosmic or very mystical. Uh, which, uh, first of all, if this were a real team, like if this team existed right now, they'd be totally unstoppable because that's that's an incredible cast. Um, that's an OP lineup. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so it's going to be a 50-page one-shot written by Jason Aaron, and the art's going to be by Asad Rabich. Uh, and it promises to reveal how the story uh, connects to what's happening in the Marvel Legacy sort of rebranded line, plus tying in everything from Secret Empire and Generations. Hmm. I mean, 
That sounds weird as hell, but that sounds pretty cool. I mean, I'm in for a weird, long one-shot, you know? Uh, yeah, that sounds uh, really, really cool. Will you read it, Kale? Uh, it, it, I think it piqued my interest enough that, yeah, I think I might. Wow. Uh, Marco? Hmm, probably not. Ah, come on. I don't know. It's not, I'm not vibing with it. Alright. Fine. Fair enough. I'll probably, I'll read it if you like it. If I like it? Yeah. Dude, I'm gonna like it. If Kale likes it. <laughs> there you go. That, there you go. Uh, so, we will, we will talk a lot about that book when it actually does release in September. So Jack Kirby, who this is kind of his his uh, anniversary year, and, and and everyone's been celebrating him. DC has done a great job of celebrating him and uh, what he's done uh, for the industry. Well, now Marvel, we've learned a bit more about how Marvel's going to celebrate him because he is being honored as a as a Disney legend at the D twenty three Expo. Um, so that's that's really huge news. Uh, that happens in July, and it's going to be at the at in Anaheim, California. Um, so he's going to be inducted into their sort of Hall of Fame, uh, and uh, I think that this is huge because now DC or I'm sorry, uh, Disney owns Marvel, and that's now this is kind of I guess their their version of a Hall of Fame, and he's he's going to be getting in there and, and I think he needs to be recognized for everything that he's contributed to comics for Marvel and it's about damn time that we get word about what they're doing so this is this is huge I think this is really cool too because I mean I'm not usually one for we had a similar conversation about this on the video game pals a little while ago where just like kind of I don't feel like comics need to be validated through other mediums like, I think comics are good enough on their own. But I think, like, this is really cool because, like, yeah, Jack Kirby was huge for comics. But he was also just huge for, like, American media in general. And it's cool to see him being honored on that same level as, you know, some of these other Disney animators or great Disney creators. Because, like, he is one of them. You know? Like, the, and I, 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 this is one of those situations where I think it's really cool to see comics being honored on like a bigger stage you know that has a little bit more um i guess just like mass audience appeal because like superheroes are mass market now and most people don't know jack kirby's name and i don't i think that's a shame so if this does anything for giving him a little bit more you know um just like you know respect among the general populace as one of the great american art auteurs or creators whatever you want to call him like that's great is it over cynical of me do you think to to say to make the distinction that it's disney honoring him and not marvel i don't or i do because most of his contributions to disney have been through the purchase of marvel in 2009 uh so I, I like. I feel like he he didn't do a ton of work for them uh, pr- prior to this. Uh, he did some work in 1979 and 1980. Um, he he adapted the the black hole movie that Disney made. Um, but other than that, like he's being like his contributions to Disney work through Marvel. So I feel like 
I feel like this is this is Marvel as much as Marvel has the ability to do this because they don't have an awards thing of their own. It's cool at the very least that like this is a company wide recognition of like Jack's contributions, you know. I, and I also want to point out that he's going in. So there's there are other people um, being awarded, and he's going in with some some amazing company because Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Stan Lee, and Oprah Winfrey, among other people, are being inducted this year. That's rad. Oprah. Yeah. Hey, well, hey. Um, ABC is Disney, and she had her show there, so. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's pretty major, and I'm really happy. I'm, I'm happy to see Jack being uh, recognized in that way with such esteemed company. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, like, it's cool that Stan's getting in there, too. Obviously, that's not as big a deal, because everybody knows fucking Stan Lee, but it's nice to see comics people getting recognized on that level, you know? Because, like, their contributions are really important. And, you know, we love their characters to this day. So they should they should be celebrated. So uh, we talked about talked about Fox a little bit earlier. And we're going to talk about them a little more now. Because we know that the three main characters from the X-Men series so far are all coming back. So the, the most recent films... They're all coming back. We're getting Michael Fassbender back. We're getting James McAvoy back. We're getting Jennifer Lawrence back. When it was, we were, it was all but confirmed months ago that they were gone, but they've all signed new deals. They're all coming back for X-Men Dark Phoenix. And in addition to that, we have confirmation that Simon Kinberg is directing this movie and that just, well, this is, uh, this is slightly rumor-ish, but it seems to be confirmed that Jessica Chastain is playing Lalandra. She's confirmed to be in the movie, but we don't know exactly who she's playing. Um, but that she's playing Lalandra, who is the Empress of the Shi'ar. So if that's the case, that means that this is the first movie that is taking the X-Men into the cosmic world. Nice. And, the, you know, the rest of the universe, which is fine, except for the part where you're introducing the Dark Phoenix, the oh, Shi'ar, yeah. and um, uh, the cosmic... X-Men universe in one movie that also includes Mystique, Magneto, and Professor X again. Talk about back on the subject of uh, Fox pissing their money away. I'm so upset about this because, like, to, to borrow a thing that Phil likes to throw around as a negative, like, these are my X-Men. Like, this is the X-Men book, like, this stuff. Like, the X-Men cosmic stuff, you know, like, getting into the, like, late 80s, early 90s. Like, that's the X-Men books that I read growing up and that, like, were formative for me as a teenager. And, like, I'm going to be upset because they're not going to get it right. And, like, they can't put all this in a movie and have it work. You know, like, I'm with you, Sean. Like, they can't juggle all these or, you know, spin all these plates and keep them up. You know, like... There's no way. There's no way this is going to play out. I have not seen anything from them that gives me confidence that this will be good. I just haven't. No. Yep. Zero. And. In fact, every time we hear more, it looks worse. And the director is someone who has never directed a movie. Simon Kinberg, to be fair to him, has been involved with the X-Men since X2, but he's never directed a movie. Wow. What, what, a, what a place to start with a bloated blockbuster superhero. Yeah, movie. that's and, not going to be good. And Pete, you were talking about this is your X Men. This is my Jean Grey, <laughs> and they're, yeah. they're yeah. screwing with my Jean Grey. Don't screw this up, please. Like, okay, don't kill her. Just don't kill her because then 
Oh, they're they're gonna they're gonna fucking kill her. Of course they are, Sean. She's been in one movie and she's got no character development. What better reason to kill her than so that they can try to squeeze some emotion out of you? <laughs> Fuck these movies. I hope it sucks. I hope it sucks so bad that we're done. No, I hope it's good. No, Sean, let, let it, it be fail good. and let Marvel get it back and they'll make a fucking good Dark Phoenix movie. Fox will never give up the rights to the X-Men. Yeah, they're just going to keep farting out these shitty movies. And- <laughs> you know why? Because scumbags like me keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't stop. I mean, yeah. We got to boycott the next one, dude. We got to not go I, to this. I didn't go see the last it's one. Phoenix... I can't not go. I have to go. Oh, it's you could Jean so Grey. not go, and it would be delicious. <laughs> no, I have so to go. so good. It would taste so good going what down my gullet. An anti-review? <laughs> yeah, we'll do a special where we're like, we didn't see the movie, and we're going to just talk shit about it for an hour Dude, and if I have to, I will do the Comics Pals alone, and I will review that movie. That movie is getting reviewed on this show. Baby, you know. So you're telling me we're going to give them $100 of our money towards this piece of shit? Yes. I'm not going. God no. damn it, Sean. <laughs> I'm, I'm not Kale, going. No. Kale, hey, hey, guys. I'm putting my foot down. Anti-review. That's what I'm doing. No. I'm going to spend. I'm going to I'm gonna get. Uh, eh, maybe not Phil. I'm going to get. <laughs> who do I get? I'll just do it myself. Fuck. <laughs> I'll do an hour show where I do nothing but shit on Jean Grey in this shitty movie. <laughs> You will no longer be a comics pal if you shit on Jean Grey for an hour. For an, for hour, an hour, Sean. No. I'm gonna You're do it even... like I'm gonna do it like you've been doing this morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot longer than an hour. Uh, so every ten minutes. Yeah, I'm about due, quite frankly. Uh, but anyway. You're not even allowed to shit on Jean Grey for five minutes, let alone a full hour. So don't do it. You can't tell me what to do. Yes, I can. My my face is on the shirt. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Moving right along, uh, we are gonna we're gonna talk about what comics and what makes a comic a good introduction to the world of comics for someone who has never read one before. And I actually have some words from Gail Simone that got me thinking in the realm of this topic. So she's on Twitter. She's very active on Twitter. And uh, she had an interaction with very a, Very prolific on Twitter. Yes. She's a very yes. good tweeter. She's a good tweeter. Is that the t- tweeter? I don't know. I regret saying it. Tweet, tweetist? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, a good tweetist? tweetist? I don't know about that I, one. Dude, I, <laughs> she's good at tweeting. And she tweeted about an interaction that she had with a woman who came up to her and didn't know anything at all about comics. Now, this is an adult woman who works in the entertainment field and doesn't know a thing about comics. So here's here are a couple tweets from Gail. She said her friends wanted to see the Wonder Woman movie. Her response was, I don't get it. They live in a country with no men or something. What? And she was baffled by the idea that I hadn't created Wonder Woman. She kept saying, but she's older than you are. And I tried to explain that I had been just one of many writers, which absolutely made no sense to her at all somehow. Then she asked about comics. She had never read one, had no idea what one was or what was in them, where to get them, or what they were. (laughs) 
Did this woman live in a bunker or something? <laughs> she said, so are the comics like real stories or just art? Seriously, is she from like that footloose town where they ban dancing, but instead it's like no comics? Nobody puts puts comics in the corner. <laughs> I'm I'm so confused. Okay, go and ahead. then a couple of comics creators and friends of Gail started to chime in. One of them being Jamie McKelvey, who is a particularly uh, famous artist, who said, "I never assume, though, as you say, it has shifted. Used to always be they still make those when I said I draw comics." Uh, <laughs> Then another another person named Landry Q. Walker said, My brother genuinely asked me why Batman isn't in the Avengers movie. We live in a bubble. Easy to forget, important to remember. Oh, yeah, dude. My, my dad actually did that to me once. Like, and it wasn't like a why is Batman not in the Avengers, but he was just like, he was like, wait, so do the Avengers, like, is that the same, like, universe as Superman and Batman? And I was like, no, like, totally not at all. He was like, oh, so like... But they're in the same universe, right? Because they cross over. It's like there is such a like such a gap between us and the as we call them often on the show normies. I think right, <laughs> which is a term a term that I personally distaste, but has become a thing amongst the comics pals. We call them muggles. That's funny. That'd be cute. That's funny, Pete. Because like if I talked to your dad, I would say something like, "Oh yeah, Elvis. He was in like the Beatles, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Now, I do have one last tweet that I want to read before we dive into the subject, and it's by Mia Violet, at God on Twitter. She said, I remember telling a friend I was reading Spider-Man, and he assumed that Stan Lee was the only person who had ever written Spider-Man comics. Could you imagine? Like That, da- that Dan Slott hasn't written a Spider-Man comic? I mean, Pete dreams about that every I, night. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, man, I love what Dan Slott has done, but... Uh, in any event, this is kind of where non-comics readers are at. They don't necessarily have a great understanding of comics or what character belongs to which uh, company or you know things like that. And I would like to do an episode, and we've talked about doing an episode, where we talk about all that stuff and dive into how one becomes a fan of comics and where you should start and all that good stuff but this is not that episode this is a precursor to that where we're just going to talk about comic books that would be great to introduce a new reader to the medium so some comic books are terrible for this because they might do things like make you turn the page upside down right uh things that would just blow a new reader's mind so we're not looking for those kind of books. And we'll talk about some examples of comics that aren't necessarily great for new readers while they still may be good books. But to start the conversation, I want to talk about what makes a comic book something that you would hand to someone who has never read one before and you think that they'll be able to enjoy it and understand it and be able to get through the reading. Um, so for me, I, I always try to keep it something that's self-contained. Something that has a clear beginning, middle, and end that they can follow. Uh, if you can hand it to them in like a single trade, that's the best way to do it, I think. Because I think asking someone to get into a... Uh, like a book I always turn people on to uh, is Why the Last Man. That's one of my go-to recommendations for um, for new comic readers. Uh, especially women, because it's a very female-centric story. Um, but I think 
it's it's that can even be a little overwhelming because there is six big volumes and that seems like a commitment when you don't realize how quickly you'll get through one of those volumes. So I I think you ideally want to shoot for something like that is as self-contained as possible. But if you think that you have someone that is genuinely interested and they're asking you to help them, that's maybe not a bad way to go. I think Scott Pilgrim's another really great one because it's a thing that they've probably heard of, but it's not a superhero. I would say stay away from superheroes unless they're really interested in superheroes. Because I think a lot of superhero stories tend to, um, even when they are self-contained, they're a little more esoteric. And they don't do as much. They expect you to have some knowledge when you come into them more often than not. So I think something that's maybe creator-owned and independent is a good way to go, too. That's usually where I try to start people off with. I don't know if I agree with your last point. For me, I think it's a lot easier to get people into the superhero stuff. Um, and especially stuff uh, like Spider-Man Blue, uh, the Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale stuff. Uh, I agree that, you know, you do pro you do want it to be self-contained and for the most part, with the exception of like the long Halloween and leading into dark victory and not that, and those are even still really self-contained. Um, I think, I think that like the, the lobe sale, uh, books have, have a tendency to be very new reader friendly because they, encompass a lot of both nostalgia and history uh both uh em emotionally and n nostalgically uh that that, <laughs> that that sentence went off the rails but you know what i'm saying um yeah I, it's all it's all sort of neat packed and neatly packaged into you know a book I think I think I don't disagree with you, but I guess my caveat there is just like in the 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 way that Gail Simone set this up, right? If you're talking to someone who has no idea about com comics at all, no context, I don't know that superheroes are the best genre for someone who is like a very like stereotypical quote unquote normie, right? I think superheroes do f have an air of being for children for those people, and I, I think that's maybe not the best way to sell them on the medium in the first place. Yeah, but uh, if you're, I mean, if you're talking to a 65 year old woman who is, you know, lived in a cave her whole life, then yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with Kale's point that I don't know that that woman represents the average uh, non comics reader. She seems to be way, way uninformed, which is fine, but uh, it's just interesting that someone knows that little about uh, something that's existed for so long. But, Marco. You are the most recent convert on the Comics Pals to comics. Uh, and, you know, it's been a little while since we did our origin story episode where we talked about how we got into comics. So what what books hooked you in and what were the reasons why they were appealing to you before you got them? And what made them something you were willing to stick through even though you had not read a comic prior? Um. So... The first one I ever read that like hooked me was um, Powers. Uh, it like at that point I had started with you know like the typical Batman stuff and I'm like all right this is cool like I get it I can dig it um, but the but Powers was more of like a 
a, sto- a comic where I realized that not all comics were superhero comics because that was my understanding was that comics were superhero comics, you know, and I didn't necessarily think that, oh, you could get a story um, that wasn't that and power sort of married the two. It, it still had superheroes, but it also was very much just uh, a crime, a crime book. It was a, a, like a police procedural kind of story. In a superhero world. In yeah. a superhero world. Right. And so that for me was my first step into like, Oh, this is pretty cool. You know, it, it there are superheroes in it, but it's not a superhero comic. Like, that's cool. And then, yeah, like there might be more for me. Yeah. Here. Yeah. And, um, and like you guys know, um, that was sort of my step into Swamp Thing with Alan with Alan Moore specifically because of Alan Moore. Um, I had read his like I had read Watchmen, I'd read V for Vendetta. While those are while Watchmen is a superhero story, um, it it very much subverts it. Uh, and V for Vendetta was not a superhero story, but it was it was just written by Alan Moore, which was like, I was like, all right, I kind of, I like his, his writing. I like his style. Let me see what else there is. It's also still like a vigilante kind of yeah. vibe to it. And, um, and then through Alan Moore, that's uh, how I got into Swamp Thing and realized that, Hey, you know, he's not really a superhero. I, I don't, I think I like this. I, I, I like him not having to save the day, but having, uh, him go through trials of just like things um and that's also where i really got big into like the horror stuff um that that's like my 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 meat and potatoes for any kind of comic i, I love that kind of visual style and from there it was just like i like i'd like to read more of stuff along the lines of swamp thing where it could be set in a superhero world but it doesn't have to be he's not saving the world or he's not doing that kind of stuff he's very much um it's a very reflective book and so i'd like to see more of that and so that's when i got that's when i got really big into image um so for me like a starting book has to be one that doesn't have to be but i would prefer it to be one that's outside of um superheroes so i'll I'll always give like a, a graphic novel just like one contained story so like i'll give um i gave my aunt recently um march because she's uh she's an english teacher she's very much into history and um that i felt it's a it's a self-contained story it's uh touches upon it 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 touches more upon like grounded reality versus having to sort of distance yourself from um like a superhero or something or you you experience that that distance in a superhero sometimes if it's you know it's not always done in the best way but uh I, i always start with something like that like more grounded in reality based off of maybe something like of history, something that's familiar that you can show people, Hey, this is, this is a comic. Like it's just another way to tell a story. It's not necessarily anything else. It's it's just that it's another way to tell a story. I think it's like hugely important to tailor the recommendation to the person too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, cause like, I don't think that superheroes are an inherently bad way to introduce people to comics. That's how, you know, four out of the five of us got into comic books was because of superheroes. Like, um, and obviously people like superheroes. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, like they're very in vogue right now. So I think if you're coming with someone who's like, I really love the Marvel movies, I want to read comics, then start them with a superhero book, sure. But if you're talking to somebody who has no interesting, or like no like 
not no interest, but because I don't think that's really going to work out. But somebody who has, you know, no background, they don't really care about superheroes, and they're interested in learning about the medium, that's when I would definitely lean in that that category and you know be like what well, what do they like you know like what kind of what kind of television do they watch what kind of mm-hmm. movies do they watch you know and then try to tailor it to that yeah same thing i do when like i recommend like uh murphy was recently asking for uh anime and manga references i'm like i know his i know what he's into let me t- tailor the choices right. to what he's in <laughs> what is not in his head what is matt murphy from the long box podcast into marco tentacles he, I mean, yeah, oh you're not oh, off. Mommy, put him on blast give like me those tentacles. tentacles. Ooh. He he carries around. He calls people senpai. Like that's his thing, man. <laughs> Strange boy. Um, but but uh, adding to Pete's point, like on top of that, also pick a be conscious of the kind of art that is in the book because, uh, like I said before, I didn't know how to read a comic well enough yeah, you want something easy to follow. yeah and and the what i picked up was powers and you know bendis had already been writing for a bit so he he did like like little things like like really little things that um i i didn't notice upon first reading because i didn't know that sometimes the panels would stretch over the full page like i didn't i didn't have a concept of like a splash page or not necessarily a splash page but uh, a page in which the the panels kept going across to to the other, you know. So, just being conscious of that. Yeah. So, I think that that's a great point, and I think that there are some comics that uh, definitely do a great job of being new reader friendly. Um, that that keep the art style, or rather, the paneling style, very simplistic. Um, Batman Year One is really sticking out to me. Uh, as a comic that's very sort of simple, the art style is not, it's not complicated in and of itself. The panel style is not complicated and it tells a very linear story. I think that that's a great example of the kind of comic, uh, and, and, you know, a superhero comic, if you will, uh, that you would present to a new reader. Um, I think that was the first Batman book I ever read, actually. Hmm. I think it may have been my first as well. I, I think that's true. Uh, and, I, and I think that there's a reason for that, you know. And I think uh, Kale was talking about um, the long Halloween and dark victory. And year one kind of serves as like a lead in to that. I know that obviously it's not done by the same people. But if you read those three together, you will get a full story. I did it that way. That's how I that's how I jumped into Batman. Um, but I think I think there's some other things that are really important to a recommendation and and what makes a story a good introductory story uh one of them i think is that comic books have a wide variety of themes that they'll deal with and some comic books are very complex some comic books present very complex themes and they don't present them in the same way that a book does for example uh so themes can be embedded in the imagery and when you're reading a comic for the first time, you don't even know. Some people have asked me, like, well, should I read the art or read the art? Should I read the words or should I look at the art first? You know, they don't even know how to approach viewing the book. So you wouldn't want to give them something where there's like a lot of 
embedded imagery and things that you need to pay attention to in order to grasp the full story. Uh, a great example of this is Grant Morrison's run on Batman. In that run, from the first issue, there are so many things that if you miss them, you won't you won't get the story all the way through, and then you might you might not even catch the reveal later on. That's really important, but won't make any sense at all if you weren't paying close attention to the images. And a new comics reader just doesn't have a grasp on that. I remember when I first started reading comics, I would just glance at the images or be in awe of them, but not really not really uh, examine them. It, you know, I'm not. I wasn't looking deeply. Uh, I'm more of a story-driven person. I like words. So I would more read the words and then look at the image like, oh, that's cool, and then move on. And I think it, I think if you're a new reader, you're more likely to do that. So if I were recommending someone a comic, I would steer clear of books like that that have a lot of uh, embedded messaging in the imagery. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a good point. Um, I, I feel like if, if someone's a very experienced reader, I feel like they seem to pick up on that quicker. Cause um, I know, like I, uh, I got my dad to read The Watchmen a few years ago, and he expressed that that problem to me of just being like, so how, like, how are you supposed to read it? You know, like, what do you do the do you read the words first and then look at the images? That whole conversation. And I remember as he got further in the book, um, you know, he was like having these moments of just being like, you know, I- I'm starting to get the rhythm of it, you know, and like when you're supposed to kind of like really just focus on the art and when the words are really the thing you're supposed to pay attention to. And there are a lot of visual cues within comics that point you to the things you're supposed to be looking at if the artist is good. Um, so I, I do think that's also something that's that's worth considering is like how old is your audience and how often do they read? Yeah. You know, are they, are, are they like, are they book readers? Like, do they read a lot of novels? Maybe give them something a little headier, you know? Because um, otherwise I think if you give them something too easy, that might turn them off too. Because I, I definitely, because I, I think, honestly, like, if we're being frank, right, like, we all love comics, uh, our audience loves comics, but comics have a stigma, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, comics are, are not looked at as literature or, like, high art or whatever, like, they're looked at as books for kids, and you need to get, you need to get this non-comic reader past that stigma and realize that there is more to them. And I, and I think you don't want to give them, like, a popcorn comic that's too easy to read, but you also want to give them something that's going to alienate them and be, like, overwhelming either. And that's kind of the problem that I think you run into. Yeah, and in that, in that comics can be a difficult sell. And it's not always easy to know where to start someone off. And, it, and uh, you guys have made the point very well that it is dependent on the individual uh, who you're making the recommendation for. Um, I mean, don't just pick things you like either. You know, because I think that's a key mistake people make when they yeah. recommend things. It's like they just like, I love this. You should read it because I want to talk to you about it. And it's like, but are they going to like it? You know, is it going to speak to them and their sensibilities? Because if not, you might just turn them off to the whole yeah. thing. Agreed. I I actually still from time to time get thrown off while reading a comic. Uh, sometimes there are comics that have. I was reading a comic the other day. Actually, I can't remember what it was, but. It, it was a two-page spread, and actually, I know what it was. Um, I, I don't want to say what it was, but it was a two-page spread, and the, the there are these pointers that sort of tell you where to look, but I'm not used to that, so I just ignored those. 
And I started looking through the comic, and I was like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. And then I realized, oh, there are pointers here. And then I had to look at the <laughs> whole thing again, which kind of hampered my experience. I don't think that that was a bad choice. It just threw me off. And I've been reading comics for over 10 years, and I'm, I still, every now and then, get thrown off by these things. I I do. I think that's a – I guess I guess it's – you know, there are some cases where – I guess there are some cases where that's not really – um, avoidable, but uh, I, I'm of the opinion as a creator and a reader. I I think I think if you have to have arrows pointing to the next panel, then you haven't done your job as the creator. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think even experimental styles, like you, the barrier between you and your reader should be as little as possible. Yeah, especially because this particular comic book was not. It's not a uh, it's not a property that's well known, so you don't expect a hardcore fan base to be the ones that pick this up. This is the kind of book. Go ahead, Sean. You can say it was Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I think I think that I think it's important to be cognizant that, and this is something that Bendis always says that any book he makes could be someone's first comic. And I've always – I actually got into comics on, on Bendis books. Uh, the first yeah, two books that I ever really kind of read were uh, Ultimate Spider-Man and, Fuck and yeah. New Avengers. <laughs> Those were the first two uh, books that I got. I got them through mail order, through Marvel. Um, and <laughs> I know, right? Tell me how long ago this was. And it was really easy to jump in. And it wasn't issue one of Ultimate Spider-Man. It was issue like 70-something. And it was issue one of New Avengers. And I had an easy time jumping in. And that's one thing that I will credit Bendis for. He's really good about being conscious of the fact that anyone could be picking up this comic book. And I think that that speaks to why he's been so successful as a creator. I think that was what was Ultimate Spider-Man's like greatest victory, too. Is like I honestly look at like as a Spider-Man fan, I've been I've read more Spider-Man stories than there aren't. You know, like I, I've read a, a lot of takes on the character over the years, and I think that I feel like that is such a definitive run on him because of that. Because it is so easy to pick it up pretty much anywhere, and that he's written in such a way that it just you get it. You know, this is Peter. These this is his supporting cast, and like you understand the dynamics at play. And it's never, it's, it's ne- like, if you're reading it month to month, like if you do read it together, it does have a full cohesive narrative that is fleshed out and, and works, but it is also very episodic in a way that a lot of comics aren't. And that's, I think a thing that it has its pros and cons, but I think Bendis has always been really successful at, at walking that line, you yeah. know? And I think to, to your point, one of the things that makes it so good and to me personally so new reader friendly and something I would recommend a new reader is that it has the same creative team from issue one to, you know, whatever. Uh, and that's hugely important. So, for example, I would never recommend a book where the creative team shifts at any point because at some point to a new reader, you see a change in art and it's like, wait, wait, well, I got used to one style. What's this? You know? And it can be very, very confusing. Yeah, that's definitely a problem for sure. Um, it's interesting though because I, I don't. I, it depends on the book because, like, 
I think there are a couple books that are like new, like there's a few image books that I think are new reader friendly where that happens, you know, where like they get through the first arc and then maybe someone else picks it up. You're referring you know, to Invincible. Like, uh, I was actually more referring to The Walking Dead. Um, and, yeah, it shows uh, and, what you know. <laughs> no, but I mean, Invincible too. I wouldn't say Invincible is super new reader friendly. Um, I mean, it is if you like superheroes, I guess, but I wouldn't recommend that to someone who has no relationship with comic books, you know? Yeah, I think The Walking Dead is a good example of a book that I would recommend to someone new, uh, even... Again, especially if they like the right, show. Even though the you art know? does change, because... And, and yeah, there's a lot of reasons it's for that. It's the first six issues, yeah, like, it's so early. Exactly. Um, and also, color plays a huge part in the way mm, that a book is, is read and interpreted, and that book doesn't have color. So... I think that 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 plays a, a role as well. Um, so yeah, The Walking Dead I think is another really good example. Yeah, especially because that's a book that is really easy to pick up and like, especially if you watch the show, right? Like, it's an easy, easy thing to be like, I get this, you know? Like, okay, cool. It's another story, like another telling of a story I've already heard. Um, so that's I think a super easy way to get someone in the door. That's another reason I like I said Scott Pilgrim is the one I always go back to. Is like most people our age have seen that movie. Um, so I think that's always a good way to do it. And um, I mean, I think other than that, like the most important thing is to just like you want to try to find something that to your point like has the same creative team. I, you don't want something where the voice is changing on them. Because that's going to be really jarring. Yeah, I mean, that would be the equivalent of reading a book, and then halfway through the book, a totally different Arthur author is writing it with a totally different style. That doesn't, that's weird. Um, I do want to highlight some books just, just to give people an idea of what we're talking about when we say books that aren't new reader friendly. I want to highlight books that we think are great but that you probably don't want to recommend to someone who is brand new to comics. My first one is Watchmen. And, like, I made that mistake, you know? And, like, that's why I feel that way. Is like, I think Watchmen is, uh, is, is a fantastic book, obviously. I'm not criticizing Watchmen. Um, we've talked at length about how much we like it. But I think I made the, the comment off mic that I feel like Watchmen should be, like, your comics college you know, like once you you've graduated high school of reading a few comics, like you, I think you need to have a relationship with superheroes and you need to understand how to read a comic and how to look at art before you can really appreciate Watchmen for what it is and rec and realize why it's so special. Because I think you can read Watchmen even as a new reader and get something out of it and appreciate the writing and appreciate the some of the philosophy at play or some of the political commentary, of course, because it's well written and Alan Moore's a good writer, but. I don't think you'll understand why Watchmen is like the classic that it is if you if you don't get how to interpret the whole package or if you don't have the context. You know, if you haven't read a Superman story or a Batman story, I don't think Watchmen plays as well. I totally agree with that. Uh, for that, yeah, um, for that matter, I would I would honestly stay away from anything uh, with uh, Alan Moore and uh, Grant Morrison's. Morrison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. They are comics for comics readers, yeah. and that's good if you're a comics reader. That is super alienating and frustrating if you're a casual like, reader. And, and I, I, I think Phil might make the argument that All-Star Superman would be a good entrance, but I, 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 yeah, I think I disagree uh, because you have to have that relationship with Superman. You have and, to care about the character. And there's already, like a lot of baggage that GMO brings into it 
in general. Yeah. Uh-huh. 100%. That's exactly how I felt. Like, it wasn't a good... Like, for me, who doesn't know Superman, like, that wasn't a book that I got. You didn't like it. Like, it didn't speak yeah. to you on that level because you don't have a relationship with Superman. Yeah. And I read comics. You know? Right. Exactly. And you're, like, you're a comic reader, so, like, obviously... I, that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Like, Ultimates... I even think, like, Spider-Man Blue is like that. To an frankly. extent. Like, I think if you don't... Yeah, like, if you don't care about Spider-Man, it might not hit you to the full mm-hmm. extent. Yeah. Or if you've never fucking heard of Gwen Stacy, yeah. you know? Yeah, you'll 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 think to yourself, oh, I thought Mary Jane was his girlfriend. You know, like, people right. always say me. that to me. <laughs> That's what I used to right. think, yeah. And, like, I, I think you're going to have that moment... Um, and maybe you'll get over it because the book is good. Um, but you don't, you want to try to eliminate as many of these what moments. Cause like, again, I think comics are always going like you're, it's a hard sell. You are selling something that people are not interested in for the most part. And like, they don't need to be interested. And don't understand. Yeah. And they don't understand. And it seems weird to them. And it's like a thing for kids or geeks, you know? And like, you need to lower those barriers as much as you can. Even for somebody open-minded. And uh, Another person I put on that is like uh, Neil Gaiman and Sandman. Like that's oh, also yeah, like oh. another one where you're just like, mm, don't really, like you can read it, but don't. But yeah. it's heavy. I, I would recommend avoiding that for years. Like I, I wouldn't touch that for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. That's like advanced. Yeah. Are there <laughs> any superhero events comic book events that you guys think a new reader could read no no i don't i don't think any comic event is good new readership material like i feel like they are generally speaking they always have a ton of baggage and like the fact that like so many people tried to go read civil war afterwards you know like yeah it's like like you're gonna come into that and not know what the fuck is going on like, why is Hercules here? Why is Thor a robot? Why is there a reality show? Like, there's there's so many things. Aren't the X-Men in a different universe? Like, there's so many things that, like, are immediately just going to be like, what the fuck is happening? Because every event is, like, informed by everything that's going on in the continuity around it, as well as the history of these books. I feel like that is the worst fucking place to step on with comics, is yeah, an event. agreed. Uh, see, I'm, I'm on the fence, because... On the one hand, I think most of the time events are not penetrable by a non-reader uh, or, or someone who hasn't been following that specific storyline for however long it's been going on prior to the actual launch of the event. Uh, but that being said, I think that Civil War is something you could read and get something out of without having read what came before. Because even though there are things that came before that are relevant, the catalyst, the reaction, and everything that follows is all in the, is all there. It gives you every character that, if you know anything about Marvel, you you know and you care about, uh, and it tells a, a story that is self-contained for the most part. Uh, I think that there are some some things that 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 could definitely trip you up. Um, but I think that if you know these characters on any level, then the story will make sense. I don't know, man. I read that book when I was 16 years old and when I was, like, getting back into comics in, like, a serious way. And I, 
like had read a lot about the Marvel universe. You know, I was trying to understand comics, understand six one six, and like the intricacies of comic book lore. You know, and I remember coming into Civil War and enjoying it, but also being like having very mo- a lot of moments where I put the book down and, and went and read stuff on Wikipedia. Because I was like, I'm not sure what's happening right now. Or I don't, there's there's context I'm clearly missing here that I'm interested to know. And for me, as somebody who was already interested in comics and like digging into them, that was valuable. But if this is the first fucking comic you're ever reading, I feel like it would totally turn you off. Well, I agree, I agree that anything that makes you have to go on Wikipedia, that's probably not good. So, Because I, I, think, I think the problem... With events is I think it actually validates all of the fears that non-comics readers have about comics of being like, there's yeah. 700 yeah. issues of yeah. Spider-Man. How am I supposed to know what's going on? And do I have to read all 700 issues? Do I start at number one? And like for some comics, that's true. For Marvel and DC comics, definitely fucking not. And I feel like you come into that and you're just like, this is overwhelming. There's all these characters. I don't know who they are. I don't know how they interact with each other. There's magic. There's science. There's mutants. There's fucking Greek gods. What the fuck is happening is what I think you get with that as a brand new reader. All right. I'll concede that. You got to let them dip their toe into that shit. You know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> you got to be sold on superheroes before you accept that God and the devil and Zeus and Thor are all real. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. But still go read Civil War, though, if you are a new reader. But not before you read other stuff. Go read, like, go read like all of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yes. And read some Wikipedia articles and then read Civil War. <laughs> yes. Yes, I agree with that. Also, seriously, like, yeah, th- there's no shame in reading synopsises instead of comics. I think that is the way a lot of people start off with, like, trying to learn more about the broader universe. I think that's totally cool. That's how I started with Spider-Man. Like, I remember coming home from Spider-Man 2, I think, you know, and, and, and like, or maybe even 3 and wanting to, like, know more. It must have been Spider-Man 3 because that was right the time that I started actually getting back into comics, I guess. And, yeah, and, like, I read, like, the entirety of the Spider-Man Wikipedia page. You know, to just get a broad strokes understanding of like what are the big arcs that matter, what happens in them, who are the who are the villains that really fucking, you know, have it out for him and all that stuff. And you can get all that greater context, and then you can go read the stuff and at least not feel so lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think that's a good point, and I think that this is a good place to wrap this conversation. Uh, if you are a new reader and you want some comic recommendations, write to us. If you don't want to read anything that we talked about today, if none of that sounded appealing, write to us. Each one of us can curate a list of comics for you that are new reader friendly that we think would be a great jumping on point if you're interested at all. Although, if you listen to this show and you don't read comics, then I'm kind of confused. But we don't talk about comics anyway, right? Uh, <laughs> we don't even read comics. No. I, don't, I hate reading. <laughs> no, exactly. I don't even know how. Uh, what a bunch of fake geek girls. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to pretend that I read comics so that I can get more likes on Instagram. Because that's that's a thing that people do, apparently. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and again... I fucking hate comics, Twitter. <laughs> this, is, this is a conversation that we'll be referring back to in the future. So if you want more of this kind of thing do let us know we intend to talk about it and if you have a friend maybe who 
isn't a regular reader or wants to jump in, hey, plug them into this show because we're going to be servicing those people real soon, including with this episode. So uh, give them a listen. Uh, You can send them to our iTunes page where we are a five-star rated podcast. We're very proud of that. Uh, leave us a leave us a rating that you think we've earned. There is no fill on this episode, so obviously it's a five star episode. <laughs> so leave us that sweet five star rating. We really appreciate that. And if you do and you leave a message, we'll read it on the air. So there's more incentive. Uh, you can hit us up on SoundCloud, or you can listen to us on SoundCloud at least. Um, you can hit us up on all the social media platforms wherever social media is sold. We are there at the Comics Pals. So check us out. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, YouTube. We are on YouTube. We've got a lot of good stuff on YouTube, including this podcast to which you are listening if you are on YouTube right now. So do leave us a like, leave us a comment, subscribe to our channel on YouTube for all the good stuff that we put out on there, and share it with your friends because that is important to us. And if we are important to you, then spread the love. Thank you very much. Uh, And that's going to do it for this episode of The Comics Pals. But before we jump off, let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Um, yeah, so thanks again for joining us here on the Comics Pals. If you want to hear more from me and Sean and you're a gamer, you can check out our sister show, The Video Game Pals, which goes up the day after the Comics Pals on whatever platform you know you like to listen to us on. Um, so go check that out. Uh, and as he pointed out at the top of the show, we do have a ton of E3 coverage. So if you missed out on that or you want to hear our opinions on uh, what went down with E3 or you want to just get a recap, whatever, uh, you can go check those out. would greatly appreciate it. And if you want to get some more content from me, you can check out my writing over on CBR.com. I have uh, two articles up about Wonder Woman that I'm still getting paid on. So if you want to go uh, read about 15 times that Wonder Woman has killed or uh, hear my own personal review of the movie, uh, Sans the comics pals you can go check that out as well and um oh yeah then if you want to get me on social media i'm at loud underscore pete on twitter and instagram and uh come ask me for comic recommendations i guess there you go kale you can find my stuff at uh panels publishing where you'll find uh from the deep number one um and i think from the deep number two is on our selfie store whoa oh it is okay great uh good to know good thing i know (laughs) Uh, We're also on Comixology under Panels Publishing, uh, where you'll find the uh, SICPA uh, Award-nominated Cosmic. Now, the SICPA is a – it's the Scottish – I don't exactly know what the the acronym is, but it's basically a Scottish uh, comics award uh, for for independent comics. It's SICPA? SICPA, S-I-C-B-A. Sounds like you're trying to say, like, sick books. Sick, that's what they are. Sick buzz. It's sick books. Sick buzz. <laughs> uh, sick books both, award. Uh, friend of the show, Letty Wilson, and the writer of Cosmic, who is a, a soon-to-be friend of the show, probably, uh, Aaron Keepers, uh, have worked uh, really hard to get this far uh, in Cosmic, and uh, I'm very proud of them, and I'm uh, very proud of, of the work they've uh, put forth for it. Uh, you can find me uh, on Toto... You can find me on Toto in tow at Twitter and Instagram. That's uh, T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, you can Oh boy. You can also have Phil service you for all your comics needs at Cyborg Bebop. Marco, go ahead. Uh, you can find my uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Woe is Marco and at Twitter at Woe is Marco underscore. Um yeah. 
I, th- I, th- I thought I was going to plug something, but then I was like, mm, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. Just Dynamite got, plug we, section today, boys. We got oh, the brain man. power. Just enough brain power to lightly char a piece of toast. <laughs> if that. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter, at Sean Soapbox. Cry with me about Jean Grey and her treatment uh, by Fox. And let's talk about wrestling and comics, because that's what I like. Venmo Sean some money so he can get on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was free. (laughs) Well, yeah, but you need a smartphone. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, true. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That's going to do it for this episode of The Comics Pals. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.